Welcome back to the Killer Kind Podcast. I hope you're doing well. I hope you all had a great 4th of July weekend. I know I did, but I'm glad to be back here with you guys. Before we get started, I wanted to say if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, I'd love if you would subscribe or follow wherever you're listening. I would greatly appreciate it. Now, with that said, we have a heartbreaking case for you today. It's one that will have you feeling frustrated throughout the investigation, but one that I think that you'll really enjoy and be fully invested in. So let's just go ahead and jump into the disappearance turned murder of Julianne Gonzalez. Julianne Gonzalez was just 21 years old when she went missing on March 26, 2010. Julianne was kind-hearted, very intelligent, and she loved life. She had received a scholarship to attend St. Edward's University, and she was very excited to be attending college. However, shortly after starting school, she became pregnant by a young man named George De La Cruz. George and Julie met and began dating while in high school at Crockett High School in South Austin, Texas. After graduation, the young couple moved in to a place of their own, And it was shortly after this that Julie started attending college. Now, like I mentioned earlier, she was very smart and she was ambitious, hardworking, and wanted nothing more than to get a good education and to make something of herself. But this George guy was the exact opposite. He was not ambitious. He had no drive whatsoever, it seemed like. Because when Julie found out she was pregnant with her soon-to-be daughter, Layla, George didn't really want to do anything to help support his family. It's my understanding that he had a job at the time, but it appeared that the conversation was had that the family needed more money to support this new baby coming into the world. However, George just wasn't up for doing anything other than the absolute bare minimum. And before the baby arrives, the couple struggles to make ends meet living on their own. So George and Julie move in with George's mother, Victoria de la Cruz, and his three younger sisters. Around that same time, Julie ends up dropping out of St. Edward's and goes to attend or goes through a program to get her pharmacy tech license. And she gets a job at a local Walgreens pharmacy. Now, Julie and George do get married in May of 2009, shortly before their daughter Layla was born. Julie's family didn't really want her to getting married to George. They didn't feel he was the right guy for her. He had, like I said, no drive, no plans to do anything, and they just knew he wouldn't be the best husband. And sadly, they were right. George never had a steady job. He worked off and on as a security guard and a construction worker, and eventually he didn't have a job at all because apparently his obsession with video games was more important. He spent the majority of his time, and when I say majority, I mean almost all of his time playing Xbox, and I'll kind of get into that a little bit later. He would spend money on his video game addiction, and Julie just obviously was kind of annoyed and not happy about this whole situation, and she voiced her concerns several times. She said his gaming was interfering with his responsibility as a father, Because it got to the point that Julie would come home from work and find George playing video games and their infant child wearing dirty clothes with a soiled diaper. Luckily, 
Julie realized that she made a mistake marrying George. So she ends up filing for divorce in December of 2009, only seven months after they get married. Although the marriage definitely appeared to be over a few months prior to this as well. But either way, her and Layla moved out of the house and in with her grandfather in Dripping Springs, Texas. Now, George was pissed. He refused to sign the divorce papers. He made it very clear he didn't want their marriage to end. However, Julie did everything she could to move on and distance herself from George as much as possible. Julie really seemed to start getting her life back once she filed for divorce. And honestly, from everything I've read about Julie, her life was practically getting started. She was getting out of a toxic relationship. She was starting fresh with her daughter, doing great at her job. She was able to buy her own car for the first time, which was a huge goal for her. And for the first time in a while, she really started to be truly happy. She did have to share custody, obviously, with George over Layla. It's my understanding that they alternated their time daily, meaning one parent would have her one day and the other would get her the next, which sounds exhausting to me, but that schedule seemed to work for them at the time. Now, at some point in 2009, before her divorce was finalized, Julie ran into a guy named Aaron Bro, who she had briefly dated back when she was just 17, before meeting George. When Julie was in high school, she worked at her grandfather's taco stand and convenience store. This is where she met Aaron, and the two actually worked together at the store. Now, Aaron was 23 at the time, and although they started off as just friends, they did start to develop a romantic relationship. However, because of their age difference, Julie's mom, Sandra, was not okay with them being together. And apparently, she ended up firing Aaron herself from her father's store, so the two of them couldn't see each other. Which is pretty harsh, but I understand, I guess. So, fast forward several years later, when Julie's marriage to George is starting to fall apart, and she runs into Aaron while out, out grocery shopping, and the two exchange numbers and start talking and hanging out. Julie confides in Aaron in that she is not happy in her marriage and how she was defiling for divorce soon. The two did start hanging out and becoming romantically involved once again. Now, I don't exactly know where Julie and George's relationship stood at this point when they first started talking. However, they were obviously not in a good place, but she technically wasn't divorced. So I'm just throwing that in there. That's not fully relevant, but you know. So Julie knew she needed to keep her involvement with Aaron a secret as much as possible in order to keep the peace with George. But she was excited to rekindle this relationship with Aaron because unlike George, he was a hard worker. He did have ambition. He had goals for his future and he had his own apartment. He had a steady job as an electrician, the type of guy that Julian really did deserve. Now, like I mentioned, George was not happy when he learned Julianne wanted a divorce. He started acting, well, psycho. He starts to act out and come up with these elaborate schemes to get Julianne's attention. At one point, right around the time Julianne filed for divorce, George claimed to have amnesia from an accident at work. When he went to pick up his daughter from Julianne one time, he claimed he didn't recognize her or Layla despite his poor daughter being excited to see him and trying to get to him. He supposedly just ignored her and kept his distance like she was a stranger. 
George did eventually admit to Julianne that he faked this amnesia. I mean, I'm sorry, but I'd be pissed if I was her at him for even thinking that's okay. Not just for, you're not just trying to do this to me like you're hurting your daughter. You know, I mean, disgusting. Then in January 2010, just two months before Julianne goes missing, George attempts suicide. Now, this was real. This is not something he faked. So, Julianne went to pick up Layla from George's house. He told her there was a note in Layla's diaper bag and asked her to read it at a later time. But after Julianne leaves, she stops the car to read the note, which turned out to be a suicide note. Obviously, she panics and flies back to his house. She finds him passed out on the floor, and she immediately calls 911. Apparently, he had taken a bunch of pills, but he was treated at the hospital, and he was ultimately ended up being okay. Now, it was after this that George started to kind of amp things up a little bit. And I'm, and I'm just guessing here, but I'm sure that after she saved him from dying, he thought he could really get her back. And when that didn't work, he really lost his mind because he starts stalking Julianne. He starts constantly showing up at her work, and he just hang out in the lobby area, not saying anything, like a real creeper. Now, Julianne's supervisor, Melinda Burrow, starts to become concerned for Julianne's safety, rightfully so. Now, Melinda knew what was going on with the two of them. Julie confided in her as a friend. So, on one occasion, Julianne called Melinda when she was driving and told her that George was following her. And Julie told her that if something ever happened to her, it was him. George increasingly became more aggressive towards Julianne. Whenever the two would exchange Layla, George would try to keep Julianne from leaving. He would block the doorway as she's about to walk out. He even jumped on top of her car at one point as she was trying to drive away. It was after these more aggressive interactions that Julianne asked the family court for supervised visits for Layla because she had started to become obviously worried about her daughter's safety too. George did agree to have his visitation schedule changed to coincide with his mother's work schedule. That way, she would be home when Layla was with him. All of that said, Julianne was doing as much as she could to stay away from George and to try to move on with her life. And it seemed like she had really started to see a light at the end of this tunnel. On Friday, March 26th, three months after she initially filed for divorce, family and friends start getting odd texts and seeing very strange posts on social media from Julianne. And real quick, despite this divorce cloud hanging over her, Julianne was a very bubbly, happy person, even during this time. She was never one to vent on social media or post really anything negative or anything too personal. However, at 12.21 p.m. on the 26th, Julianne made a Facebook post saying, Going away. Hate this BS. Want to run away. And then a second post saying, Mood. Hate this BS. And now, the words alone were concerning, obviously, to her friends and family. However, the way these posts were written just did not seem like Julianne at all. They were like run-on sentences, little to no punctuation, definitely out of character for her. And not only that, there were some strange emojis included in these posts. The emojis did not match what was being written. There were like laughing faces and crazy face emojis. 
despite it being like a depressing or like an angry post. There were multiple posts fluctuating in mood and tone. Some were happy posts. Some were like angry or depressing. And on March 27th at around 1.57 a.m., more posts were coming in. And those were similar to those the day before, but these were talking about how she was so glad that she got out of Austin, but that she missed her baby. But her mood was marked as amused. It just didn't quite match up. Like nothing about these posts really made sense. Even if like the text and like the the wording made sense, it's like the emojis or the mood was marked something totally opposite. And the social media posts continued. There was one that said, I'm okay. People need to stop worrying about me. They just need to stop worrying about me. And that was at around 9.40 p.m. on the 27th. And her mood on that one was marked adventurous. So, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. So the post goes on to say that she had run away or she had gotten out of town with some guy named James and they were going to Colorado. Now, this was obviously the most alarming thing because who the heck's James? And she's not going to leave her daughter to go out of town. So friends and family start to call and try to reach her and she's not answering. But she does reply to one of the comments on her Facebook post that's questioning what's going on. And she replies to these comments saying she wanted to run away, that she did run away, and she's doing fine. So like I said, this was really freaking her family out because number one, like I said, she wouldn't take off like that. And she would not leave her daughter Layla because Layla was her world. And more importantly, Layla was with George, which Julie, Julianne, we all know, did not trust George at all not with any length of time, let alone to have Layla with him while she runs away or goes on some trip. That was just not going to happen. That's not something that Julianne would ever do. So Julianne's family went to the police after this and reported her missing. And first thing police do is try to figure out who exactly saw her last and when. And to see if she really could have just ran away. Or did something more sinister happen here? And surprise, surprise, the last place Julie was seen was at George De La Cruz's house. He was supposedly the last person to have seen her. If you remember, George had agreed to change his visitation schedule so that his mother was home when Layla was there. And not only that, Julie started having somebody with her when she would drop off or pick up Layla from what I understand too just for that added protection. But on that Thursday, the 25th, George had asked if he could have Layla for just one more night. Julie reluctantly agreed, and she planned to pick her up the next day on the 26th, the Friday. So since the schedule was kind of out of whack a little bit, Julianne didn't bring anyone with her to pick up Layla on that Friday. So George was the only one there when she arrived at this time. Now, He is interviewed by police and eventually um, by a local news station, and he claims that she came to his house to pick up their daughter. However, he said that when she got there, she was spaced out, maybe on drugs or something, he alluded. He said she seemed very obviously depressed, didn't really seem like herself at all, and that she ended up asking him if he could keep Layla through the weekend. 
Not sure why she'd drive all the way there just to ask if he would keep her through the weekend, but whatever, that doesn't make sense to me, but he said she told him that she needed to go somewhere, and he supposedly didn't question her at all and just let her go. He said he didn't hear from her again after that. So at this point, police are buying the runaway story. I mean, you know, why not? You know, they have social media posts mentioning wanting to run away and saying that she did leave and she was with some new guy. The last person to have seen her says that she was depressed and she needed to leave. I mean, all the evidence points to a runaway situation at that time. However, Julianne's boyfriend, Aaron, went to the police and said that she had stayed with him the night before this interaction with George. He said the two of them spent the night together in his apartment. They had a great dinner together and stayed in watching movies. Early the next morning, Aaron said he woke up and told Julianne that he had to leave for work and that he loved her. She did try to convince him to stay home with her since she was off work that day, but he said he didn't get paid if he didn't show up, so he apologized and kissed her goodbye, telling her that he would see her later that night. Now, after Aaron left, Julianne wrote him a long love letter saying how she wished he was still cuddling with her in bed and how she loved him very much. And more importantly, she expressed how happy she was to be in a relationship with him and that he made her feel so special and beautiful. She looked forward to getting married and having a son together one day, and she just expressed how happy she was. She left the letter on Aaron's bed, and that's when she must have left to go pick up Layla. On March 28, 2010, Julianne's aunt Dora was driving home, and she passed the Walgreens where Julianne worked. And she ends up seeing Julianne's car in the parking lot. Now, she freaks out, thinking that she might just be inside shopping or might have shown up to work. So she rushes in, and sadly, Julianne is nowhere to be found. Dora does call and report this to the police. Now, just so you know, police are still buying the runaway theory. So they aren't out like actively searching for Julianne at this point. However, they did check George's house and question those closest to Julianne, but other than that, there wasn't much going on in the case. That being said, when police arrived, they didn't find any evidence of foul play. So once again, there was no sign of blood. There was no sign of a struggle inside the car. The doors had been locked and there were no keys found. So again, nothing was pointing to anything sinister going on here. Well, that's what the police believed anyways. Now, Look, I get it. There's no blood, no sign of a struggle anywhere inside the abandoned car or at George's home, supposedly. However, when police searched George's home, <laughs> they chose to overlook quite a few things. One being scratches on George's nose and face during the search. Now, you and I both know <laughs> if somebody close to a victim, somebody that's likely a suspect, could be a suspect. Family believes it's him. Blah, blah, blah. If there are scratches on that person, likely those are defense wounds and should be taken very seriously. So that right there pisses me off. <laughs> Another thing investigators mentioned later, but made no record of, was one officer sees a trench dug out inside a shed in the backyard. 
When asked about this, George said the previous owners of the home dug the trench for plumbing purposes and they had nothing to do with it. The officer believes him and that's it. Are you kidding me? A woman is missing. The family suspects this guy. There's a hole dug in his backyard and y'all just going to take him for his word. Are you joking? (laughs) A few months went by with the family incredibly frustrated and still no sign of Julianne anywhere. Finally, the police start to think that maybe they got it wrong. Thank God. So they obtain a warrant to search Julianne's phone records. More importantly, they want to see where her phone had pinged from the day of her disappearance and the few days following. The first thing determined was anytime Julianne went to George's house to pick up or drop off Layla, her phone showed her being there only a few minutes each time, no more. However, on the day she was last seen, her phone showed she stayed in the vicinity of George's home for three hours. So not only did that not make sense, but it also didn't add up with what George told authorities about her time at his house that day. After the pings, police checked the connections. Basically, connections are when your phone connects to Wi-Fi or a text is sent out. Basically, whenever any sort of communication happens or anything happens on your phone in general. And on this particular day, there were 27 connections. 22 of those connections were made within George's home. Then around 8 p.m. that night, her phone pinged again by a local Best Buy. Then the following day, her phone pinged off a tower that Julian's phone had never pinged off before. And nobody really recognized that location. Finally, in May, a bombshell busted the case open. George's own mother, Victoria, calls into the Austin Sheriff's Department to report something suspicious. She says that she noticed the trench that had been dug out in the shed in the backyard. And just to remind you, George lived with his mom at the time. So this was her house, technically. She reports that it had never been there before, this trench. Yes, this is the same trench that an officer asked George about during the first investigation. So his story of it being a trench the previous homeowners had dug was completely inaccurate. Surprise, surprise. On top of that, Victoria said that she saw a burn mark in the yard, and it was clear that clothes had been burned in the backyard at this spot because there was a charred purple shoelace lying in the center of this burn mark. It's when she sees the purple shoelace that she knows something is very wrong, and luckily she immediately reports this to the authorities. This sparked a massive search of George's home, They collect lots of items from the house, including all electronics, his Xbox, his phone, you know, etc. Two cars were towed away to be searched, and search dogs were brought in to trace any evidence. After all this evidence was collected, George stops being cooperative with police. Um, Up until this point, he had been fully cooperative, but he shuts down after this. So, what all did they find? There wasn't anything that initially stood out when searching his property, so they started with his cell phone, and sure enough, they see that George's phone pings in the same area that Julianne's did anytime her phone pinged. Even that one tower that Julianne's phone pinged at, that had never pinged at before, 
Well, turns out this particular location was where a friend of George's lived. Investigators also collected George's Xbox. They wanted to see what his gaming patterns were around the time of her disappearance. Because like I said, this guy played video games nearly all the time. When looking into his gaming patterns, they noticed that prior to Julianne's disappearance, he played video games constantly. And if he took a break, besides when he went to sleep, it was no longer than like an hour at a time. But on the day his estranged wife went missing, he was logged out of his Xbox for a little over five hours. Again, this was not like him at all. So that was yet another red flag to police. Then investigators finally check security footage. And I don't just mean one spot. I mean, there were multiple locations they could have checked security footage at. Come to find out, Julie's bank account had been used several times after her disappearance. And police could have easily checked security footage at those locations her card was used at. And they would have seen George De La Cruz using Julianne's bank card. George was seen in Walmart with Layla purchasing a video game, I mean, shocker there, and some baby supplies. I mean, this is the most frustrating part because had they looked into her bank information at the beginning and looked to see if Julie was caught on security footage, I don't know why you wouldn't do that just to confirm that she's alive, but they would have known that George would have at least been somebody that needed to look closer into. Now, with all of this new evidence of sorts, there was still nothing physical proving that George harmed Julianne or had anything to do with her disappearance. However, investigators felt confident in going forward with trying to charge George with the murder of Julianne Gonzalez. So, on September 13, 2013, authorities arrested and charged George with Julianne's murder. This was pretty surprising and honestly rarely happened at the time and rarely happens now because number one, cases with cases with no physical evidence are hard enough to prove in court. However, with this one, there was no body. There's literally nothing but digital and circumstantial evidence. And not only that, most of it was cell phone pings, phone records, and evidence that police are used to seeing This is not the kind of evidence that a jury is going to fully understand and recognize. So, the prosecution had their work cut out for them. They had to figure out the best way possible to present this complicated evidence to a jury of just your everyday people. This process actually took two years. They created PDFs, PowerPoints, put together photos, all telling the story they needed to tell, putting the pieces together in the simplest form, so that these jurors could clearly understand what they wanted to say. So finally, in 2015, the trial begins. And more stuff started to come out in the prosecution's favor. So George's mom actually testified against him, saying it came to the point when she realized he likely knew what happened to Julianne. She said she was talking to George one day during the investigation and she told him that she had a conversation with one of their neighbors and this neighbor said that she saw two men escorting Julianne to the shed in the backyard. While on the stand, Victoria said that when she shared this story with her son, she physically saw him collapse 
and he turned white. Then there was a fellow inmate that came forward with a very disturbing story from when George was awaiting his trial. He said at first George was reluctant to tell him why he was in jail, but he eventually confides in him and gives the story that he got into a physical altercation with Julianne because she was seeing another man and he didn't want the divorce. He said later that Julianne ended up hitting her head and she was bleeding and unconscious. Now, he never actually said that he killed her, and many people believed this informant only cared about making a deal with investigators to get a lesser sentence. But while on the stand, he said, whether you believe it or not, I didn't care about the deal. There's a little girl involved. Then what really might have drove this trial for the prosecution was the trench in the shed. So first off, the story of what his mother found back there, clear evidence of clothes being burned in the backyard. And it also came to light that police found a knife near the trench as well as bullets. Unbelievable, unbelievable that this evidence could have been found in that initial search had they just taken a second look at this area. I mean, it would have taken an extra minute, maybe, just to look around, and had they found the knife and bullets in that first search, it might not have saved Julianne's life. It might have been too late at this point, but it would have kept that poor family from dealing with the hurt and the unknown of what happened to Julianne. It's just heartbreaking. Now, it also comes to light during the trial that investigators also found Julianne's debit card as well as her car keys inside George's home which gives the impression that Julianne could not have actually left George's house that day, like he had claimed, and that he had to have been the one that took her car to the Walgreens parking lot where Aunt Dora found it. In the end, the jury deliberated for a little over six hours before finding George De La Cruz guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Sadly, both families were left upset. George's family, obviously because of his conviction, despite it being what he deserved, but also Julianne's family because they were still left wondering where was Julianne. Despite all the evidence and the witnesses that took the stand, that question was never answered. Julianne Gonzalez has still never been found. such a heartbreaking case. This poor innocent woman being taken from her sweet daughter by the hands of her estranged psycho husband. It's horrible. And that poor family and her boyfriend, Aaron, I can't imagine what they went through and what they're likely still going through, not knowing what really happened and where she actually is. But I have to give praise to the prosecution for a second because I've heard cases before that despite all the evidence pointing to one person or another, the case doesn't go to trial because they don't have the physical evidence. And it's even more rare for a case to go to trial without a body. It's just super impressive to me. So I'm really glad they took the risk. Now, as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's case. As a mom, this just makes my heart hurt for that poor little girl. She's now left to grow up without her mother or her father. It's really sad. But Julianne's family seemed so sweet and so close. I just know that she is well taken care of 
and I know they'll keep Julian's name alive forever. So with that said, that'll do it for me this week. Please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening, if you can or if you'd like to. I greatly appreciate it. I'll be back here next Monday for a brand new episode. But until then, just stay safe out there. Bye, guys.